So we we went up by just over a hundred listeners in the space of a month, thanks almost exclusively to Alfonso Davies. Hello and welcome to the Super Bayern Podcast. It's been a relatively calm few weeks for Bayern Munich, who have stretched their lead at the top of the Bundesliga table to four points after wins over Borussia Dortmund and Werder Bremen. The club's future has once more been called into question, though, with rumors swirling that Hansi Flick could leave Bavaria to take over as the German national team coach now that Yogi Love has announced his impending resignation. I'm Benjamin Scott, and I'm here to talk about all of that and more with my friends Tim Richards. Hello there. And Sebastian Zimmerman. Hi. Well, guys, we were just talking before the episode started, and I mentioned it in uh, the introduction. It's been a bit of a calm few weeks for Bayern Munich, at least, uh, you know, considering everything that's been going on for the past few years. But since we last had an episode, Bayern have uh, played two games, which doesn't seem like a whole lot for Bayern, given the the busyness of the recent schedule. Uh, But first, it was a 4-2 win over Borussia Dortmund, although things seemed like they uh, might not work out so well for Bayern. They were able to turn it around. And then yesterday, a 3-1 win over Werder Bremen. Uh, when, in all honesty, 3-1 is, is probably uh, a flattering scoreline for Werder Bremen. It definitely could have been um, a lot worse. But Bayern are really on the right track, it seems. They're at least making steps um, in, in the right direction. Uh, but really, what what stood out to me about those two games is that we've kind of seen two vastly different defensive displays. Um, obviously, at the beginning of the Dortmund game, Bayern's defense was all over the place, was really struggling. Um, Erling Haaland was just having the time of his life, finding space, making goals. Uh, wasn't great from Bayern, whereas yesterday, it was really a shock to see Bayern concede, and really that can probably be pinned down to one individual mistake uh, after substitution. But Bayern were looking rock solid, obviously against a much weaker uh, opposition in, in Werder Bremen. But Tim, I just want to ask, you know, were you you seeing the same thing that I was seeing, you know, in those Bayern games, uh, the big, I guess, discrepancies between the defensive displays? Uh, and maybe maybe talk about Lucas Hernandez's um, role in that, because I think he really stood out yesterday as someone who, who was really shining in the back line. He offers a lot more aggression uh, than David Alaba. So, you know, maybe has he done enough recently? Has he done enough even yesterday to show that he should be getting more minutes uh, in that center back spot? Yeah, I really liked um, I really liked how Bayern played, uh, specifically how they played uh, against Werder Bremen and how they ended up playing against Borussia Dortmund. Um, I, I was talking with my dad earlier and mentioned that the game against Bremen was almost the complete reverse of how Bayern normally do things. So <laughs> I, I guess... The way that they've been playing this season and also the elements of the last few years is they'll concede early and then they'll wake up and then they'll be really dominant for like 60, 70, 80 minutes after that one lone mistake. This time around against Bremen, they were very dominant from the start. Okay, Bremen had a couple of chances, but otherwise Bayern looked to be in control and then they concede in the last 10 minutes. And it's it's a big shame. I don't know. I don't really know how much of that goes down to like a lack of concentration or thinking that they've done enough. As I think that's something that I've been very critical of uh, in the past few years of Bayern taking a while to like really get into it and think, okay, 
like let's we don't have to really try that hard oh no it turns out we do because we've went no we're now down by a goal i think the way that they that they defended uh yesterday against bremen was really impressive um and i think that's kind of that's as close to the back line of the future that we can see i think you know i i don't know i think there's every chance that boateng isn't going to be staying at bayern past this season so Maybe the guy next to Lucas Hernandez is going to be Nicolas Sula or Meccano. Maybe Pavard isn't going to be isn't going to be the right back next season. Who knows? But this was a backline that I've been really looking forward to seeing. I I think we hadn't. I don't really know how much of Boateng and Hernandez we've seen together, like in the middle. So this was this was always going to be quite an interesting thing to take a look at. And in my eyes, up until the last eight, uh, up until not the last eighty minutes, up until the last ten minutes. Um, I thought it was it was fantastic. I don't really know how much of how much of the goal you can put on on either of them. I can't actually remember who was still on the pitch. I know it was a mistake from Bunasar, but you know the less said about that, the better. <laughs> I, I I really liked how how Hernandez played. Like within the first two minutes, he was throwing himself at players, and I think that comes from that Diego Simeone school of thought, where you know you don't have to be in pain for 90 minutes you can worry about that afterwards but in that time you need to give everything i think getting players from that club that have that have played under somebody like simeone is a really fantastic way of scouting um because especially somebody like a def- somebody that is a defender like hernandez it's great and, and so if you to like directly compare Hernandez to Alaba. I had a look on a great website, FB Refs. I think is it FB Ref mm-hmm. or something. I, I can't remember. It's just full of statistics. And so I had like a brief look at, at what was going on last week before the Dortmund game. Because I don't think the, that the lineup, uh, I certainly don't think that the back line that Flick chose for the Dortmund game was the right one. I think if anything, that was the game for Hernandez to start um, rather than this one. Um but ahead of the Dortmund game, uh, Hernandez uh, was seen making uh, per 90, 2.88 tackles uh, per 90. Alba makes one, Boateng makes 1.19. And of course, this is like a cumulative thing over a long period of time. But from that, you can tell that Hernandez makes the tackles, whereas Alaba, um, both Alaba and Boateng are more, I guess kind of like maybe describe it as like passive defending mm. like they like their interceptions are far greater than Hernandez's interceptions so Hernandez has 0.54 per 90 Alaba has 1.04 Boateng has 1.24 so there is there's clearly something that one of these guys Lucas Hernandez is a defender who will tackle whoever is in his way and we saw that throughout the entire game for as long as he was on the pitch he was willing to throw himself at players quite literally. And sometimes it isn't pretty, but it's always very, very welcome to see. I love having somebody that's so dedicated to it and just so willing to give everything that he has and almost just kind of relinquish his body to say, okay, for 90 minutes, do whatever you have to. I, th- I think that's really wonderful. Um, and I am I would like to see more of that. Uh, yeah, I, like... I don't know if we will though, until like next season, of course. Right. Yeah. I like the, uh, the, I guess sort of comparison you make between you know Lucas being more a, of an aggressive defender, uh, whereas Alaba and Boateng are more passive defenders, like you said. And um, one of my big criticisms of that partnership uh, has been that very thing that uh, you know at Bayern 
Hansi Flick likes to play a really high line, which is which is well and good, but it all doesn't always work out when you have two passive center backs in uh, David Alaba and Jerome Boateng. And I think having someone like Lucas Hernandez and even Nicolas Sula is a much more uh, aggressive center back makes makes a world of difference. Um, and so I was really liking what I was seeing uh, from Hernandez yesterday, and I do hope we get to see some sort of partnership where you know we do have someone more passive paired alongside uh, someone more aggressive, especially if it's going to be you know Lucas Hernandez, who, like you said, Tim, is a player that you know it definitely seems like is more of the future of the club. Well, definitely more of the future of the, of the club than either David Alaba or uh, Jerome Boateng are. Uh, but Sebastian, elsewhere in the back line, we saw Benjamin Pavard make his return to right back, replacing Nicolas Sula, who we've talked about plenty of times over the past uh, several weeks. Uh, what did you think of him and his return against Werder Bremen? Obviously, you've been more critical on him uh, of him in the past, but what did you make of him and his return? And um, do you think it's enough that he should you know, be back in the uh, contention for that starting right back spot over Nicolas Sula? Yeah, I think that's maybe even slightly understating things because... I mean, I also enjoy those Sula dribblings on the side. <laughs> it just looks very interesting. It is, a, it is a sight to see. It is something flashy. Uh, but even, uh, well, at right back, I, I would uh, take uh, consistency and uh, defensive strength over flashiness any day of the week. So, yeah, I think not even is Pavard in the discussion. I think he's all, he should already be leading uh, in this I feel he should again be our starter for now, I feel. Which doesn't mean I'm I'm completely happy there. We talked about that. I definitely feel like we need another option there. We need someone who's an actual right back. But with what we have right now, I think for me, he's always going to be the one option we really have for a starter on the on the right side of, of our defensive line. Because yeah, who else is it going to be? I'm, I'm just not confident uh, having Zula as an actual starter there. I think you're going to be you're going to be caught uh, uh, doing some weird things eventually. I mean, I think Zula just well, he, he he's just going to make more mistakes because he doesn't know the in the ins and outs of this position. It doesn't doesn't come exactly natural to him. I feel even if I, I'm really impressed uh, with what he was able to do at times. But yeah, it's it's just it's it's a it's a fix for a short period of time. I feel, and it's it is it is not a solution. I'm I'm happy to go with for the rest of the season. Um, with Pavard, I might also not always be happy, but definitely more happy than with anything else we have on the squad. So yeah, no no real great discussion for me there when uh, or as Pavard is able to play when he's physically like at one hundred percent and. Also, not in the worst form imaginable. For me, he's always going going to be the guy who starts until we we get a different player there, until we get someone well, who's a natural natural kind of right. But it's powered for me. I think, yeah, we, we again saw that Sar is also not this option because this is the other person we could theoretically imagine playing right back for Bayern. But on a Sar, I think you you only hinted at it before. But yeah, this goal uh, by Bremen is 100% on Bonasar, I feel caught out of position. I mean, he was playing on the left side, okay. He's probably not exactly right at home there, but still you, you cannot you, you cannot just come in and uh, uh, yeah, just cause a goal in like no time. This is just an awful look by someone who hasn't looked great before. 
So yeah, there are just not not many options here, and so Pavard is my guy there. I was a bit disappointed that we didn't get to see more of him in the middle. Actually, I was when I when I saw that Sar was coming coming on, I was for a moment thinking maybe uh, maybe Pavard is going going to be our center back for the moment because I'm still interested in seeing more of that. Hmm. Uh, because yeah, Pavard could be very interesting as a center back and or center back pairing uh, for for next year is not really settled but yeah sadly we didn't get any of that but yeah well i guess lucas looked look very good as as both of you said so yeah maybe that's enough for now talking about uh pavard at center back i think it you know it goes back to, to what you said pavard may not be the ideal right back right now but he's you know he's he's the best that we've got uh if you you know are keeping Yosa Kimmich in midfield, and so it's probably not time to go moving him. Although it would be interesting to see him back uh, at center back. Another thing that's really stood out to me over the past two games has, of course, been that Robert Lewandowski has not slowed down at all in his pursuit of Gerd Müller's Bundesliga goal record. Uh, he now has 32 goals with just nine games left after his hat trick against Dortmund. Uh, and somehow he was only kept to one goal against Werder Bremen. I think he hit the post at least three times. Um, it really wouldn't have been surprising to see uh, another hat trick, maybe even more goals from Lewandowski yesterday, uh, but they just didn't come off. So I do want to talk about that for a second. Um, you know, 32 goals, nine games left. Tim, do you think that maybe this is the year we finally uh, we finally see him get to 40 and maybe even surpass, you know, Gerd Müller's uh, legendary record? I think it's entirely possible. I wouldn't be surprised. The way, the way that he's been playing, he, he, I think you said um, just a second ago about him you know, hitting the post so many times. He could have scored like five or six goals yesterday. So it, it was, as you said, surprising that he only managed to get one. The way that he's been playing this season, last season, and, and, the, way before, um, and the year before that is outstanding. I think he's... I guess this is something that I've kind of I've noticed as somebody that a couple of years ago didn't like Lewandowski. I was always grateful for the goals that he scored, but my celebrations were always very muted in that sense. I really, really liked Mandzukic. And so I was disappointed when, you know, I completely understand Lewandowski is a better player than Mandzukic. But, you know, it's the principle. Like you have this guy that you really like and then he's kind of shoved aside for a shiny for a shinier toy. So it took me a while to warm to Lewandowski, regardless of how many goals he was scoring, regardless of hat-tricks or like goals in like the 90th minute, whatever. I didn't really like him. And then there was something that kind of happened under Niko Kovac's first year where Lewandowski seemed to be much more focused getting the team to score goals as well. He was more willing to look for a pass. He was willing to play another person in. He was shooting. It seemed like he was shooting less like he he seemed much less selfish which I think is probably one of the things that I loved most about Mandzukic is that this is a guy that wasn't there to score goals he was there to win games Uh, like he wasn't in it for his own personal record obviously a personal record is something that Lewandowski has looming over him at this point I am really firmly a massive supporter of Lewandowski right now and the way that he's transformed his game to you know obviously he's not doing it with with my opinion at the back of his mind saying oh yeah listen to that podcast i really hope tim stops <laughs> bad mouthing me 
I think it is just the fact that he's been able to do that and tra- change my, I'll say it, quite stubborn opinion. I think if anybody could ever beat the record, it will be him because he is such a complete forward. He's good in the air. He's good with both feet. He's quick enough that hypothetically he could play out wide and he actually does. Like He spends a lot of his time collecting the ball in wide positions. I know he likes to drift off to the left quite a lot. He is a fantastic player. And I, I don't know, there, there's kind of like this sentimentality of somebody like Gert Müller, who was such an important player for Bayern. Obviously, this is like marginally before my time, but I can still understand and appreciate the historical context behind him. There are some records that you think, oh, I kind of really hope that, that doesn't get broken. So part of me hopes that he can, if not beat it, maybe go left. I'd be, I'd be sad to see that record get beaten because of who Gertmuller is, what he did for the club, and and kind of and as well as like another without wishing to to dampen the mood too much, especially with everything that's kind of going on with him right now, everything that he went through when he stopped playing, everything that he's currently going through now, it would be so great to have that record live on just that little bit longer. But the way that Lewandowski's playing right now, there's every possibility that he's not just going to break it, he's going to smash through it. Mm-hmm. And thinking about it in terms of like a sporting achievement, there isn't anybody that could do it better. Maybe Erling Haaland, of course, because that's the sort of player that he is, you know, probably not going to do it this season, but could well do it uh, in the coming years, providing he stays in the Bundesliga, of course. I don't know. That's, that's That's not for me to decide. But yeah, it's looking like he will break the record. And, and do it very convincingly. But there is a part of me that's maybe going to be a little bit sad uh, for that. But, you know, I'm happy. Goals are goals. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyone who's listened uh, to the podcast for well, pretty much as long as we've been around uh, will be well familiar with that discussion you brought up of Robert Lewandowski's transformation from uh, a more selfish striker who's who's in there, you know, to put the, the ball in the back of the net, to score goals, into more of a team player, into... Uh, really more of a leader on this team and I think you're I think you're spot on with that uh, and I think that's also reflected in the fact that he's not only having his best goal scoring season ever this season he's also on track to have the most assists that he's ever had in fact he's only one away um, from from matching up with the most assists he's ever had at least at Bayern Munich within uh, maybe at Dortmund I didn't check those stats but the most he's ever had um, within a season and you know I would easily say right now he's the best player in the world I'm pretty confident that he's going to he's going to at least tie Gerd Muller's record um, I think it would be fair if he gets to 40 and at least ties with him that way you know everyone's happy those like uh, maybe Sebastian who don't exactly want that record broken uh, and those who I know like if Garrett was on here with us would be all in favor of Lewandowski smashing uh, that record so Anyway, I think the bottom line is, I'm, you know, it's just awesome to see him playing uh, so well right now. Um, yeah, I just want to bring up again uh, what uh, uh, what Paul Breitner said. I don't know when he said it. It it's, must be a year or two ago, I think. And I don't also don't uh, remember the exact context of that, but it was something to the effect of, uh, without Gerd Müller, none of us would be here. Uh, and he was uh, talking about himself and Hoeneß and Rummenigge and all those people, because uh, what what he's trying to say, of course, is without Gerd Müller, the German national team wouldn't be what it is, and also this this club wouldn't be what it is, because he was just 
so much more important uh, than Lewandowski is right now, even if Lewandowski really plays extremely well. So I really don't want to take anything away from uh, how Lewandowski is playing, even if I'm not a huge fan of him still. Uh, but yeah, he he didn't have this impact, I feel, that Gerd Müller had in in his day. Because, yeah, without Gerd, Gerd Müller, well, G- Germany doesn't get its second second World Cup. Uh, without that, you don't have this dominance that Bayern had over that over that era and so if that doesn't happen well nobody knows if this club would be where it is right now because in the day of Gerd Müller this just what wasn't clear it wasn't cemented the the way it is today so yeah this could be a very different world for German football and for this club so yeah I think Lewandowski just isn't that and therefore I feel yeah I, I feel that Gerd Müller deserves to keep a, a number of records mm-hmm. for quite a while longer that's just my perspective. Right. Well, and, and I'm not at all going to suggest that Robert Lewandowski is or, or will ever achieve the level of significance that Gerd Müller has uh, for German football, Bayern Munich in general. Uh, however, I do think you can make an argument that without Lewandowski, Bayern doesn't win a treble last season. Of course, it's all you know speculation because we can't go back. Anyone can play the what-if game, but uh, you can make the argument that Without Robert Lewandowski, maybe Thomas Muller doesn't have the sort of career resurgence that he's had over the past uh, few years. Without Robert Lewandowski, maybe Hansi Flick, you know, doesn't step up and and be so successful as Bayern's coach. Maybe if Robert Lewandowski was German, we could have seen Germany play a lot better at the last World Cup. It's just there's there's a lot you can throw in there um, to you know, and I'm not saying that to take away from Gerd Muller at all. But I do think Lewandowski deserves a lot of the recognition uh, for what he's done, even if he has been a little bit controversial um, with the way he's handled himself off the pitch and even on it earlier uh, in his career. But since we've already started talking about uh, the German national team, that does sort of give us a good segue, Sebastian. Yogi Love confirmed uh, earlier this week that he will be stepping down from the German national team uh, managerial role after the Euros this summer, should they be held? And of course, immediately, all the rumors have surfaced saying that Hansi Flick is next in line, saying that he's going to be the one uh, to take over when Yogi Love steps down. And so the question has to be asked, Sebastian, you know, how big of a blow uh, would this be for Bayern? And do you even, you know, do you think that Hansi Flick actually could be uh, convinced to leave Bayern Munich at the end of the season to go to the German national team? This would be a huge problem for Bayern, of course, because Hansi Flick already has built a lot here. And and I think, uh, yeah, who would you get if Hansi Flick would leave in, in, in the summer? It's really not not so easy to find someone uh, to take over there. I think the only option that I could really see is we could maybe uh, keep our fingers crossed that uh, Klopp is, f- f- for some reason, uh, stepping down uh, at Liverpool. Maybe this would be a huge opportunity then, but... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think uh, there are many great, uh, great options for Bayern right now, because it's really lucky that this Hansi Flick situation fell fell into our lap, really, because he wasn't he wasn't that that great plan that we had, and I think most great plans uh, that the club would come up with would probably be pretty flawed right now. I feel. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to be too negative, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. This would be kind of a problem. Um, uh, that said, I, I really don't think I, re- I really don't think uh, that Flick taking over the national team is really much of an option right now. I, d- I don't think uh, he he he's considering that much. 
uh, I don't know. A lot of the media is kind of trying to read uh, things into Flick's comments that aren't really there, I feel. Uh, if anything, what, what Klopp said what was even more vague in a way or left more of a door open than, than what Hansi Flick said. So I really don't think we should be too concerned. Of course, it would be great for the German national team to have Hansi Flick because Hansi Flick knows the ins and outs of uh, of the national team. He uh, had, a, had a role for a pretty long time uh, with the DFB. So, of course, for Germany, this would be great, but I, I really don't see it happening. Um, the question is, what is going to happen? Uh, and I'm really kind of afraid how the name of Lothar Matthäus is gaining some traction. <laughs> oh, no. Actual traction. This is really weird because... There are a lot of people who are really scratching their heads. How how did this happen now? How, since since when since when have we been taking Lothar Matteo seriously as a coach or at all really? So, what? Well, I, I don't know. I re- I really hope this is going to be this is going to be Rangnick's job because he's probably going 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 to do well. I hope he's taking over for Löw and also for Bierhoff. This this would be probably the best choice, and it's also kind of a realistic scenario that I can see. Because all of those are other ideas that have been brought up, I, I cannot really see it. It's kind of interesting because, um, yeah, there there haven't there haven't always been so many uh, high profile German coaches around. Uh, this is kind of still a kind of new situation, I feel, because right now there are I think maybe five. Like, I need to count in a second, but maybe five uh, German coaches who are kind of way up the list for any important international man- manager job. Like, of course, there's, there's Hansi Flick, then there's Jürgen Klopp, then, then there's Tuchel, then there's Rangnick, and then, I guess, there's Yogi Löw, because he's probably also going to be mentioned when uh, a high-profile club is going to be looking for a new manager, because why not, really? Of course, this might be uh, might, might change depending on how uh, uh, the, the Euro is going. If, if he's doing well there, he's going to be even further up. If it's not going so well, maybe, um, yeah, some people won't consider him. But this this is a kind of a new situation for a for a German or for someone who's uh, following uh, German football. So yeah, I, I, uh, to to make it short, I, I would say it's very unlikely that that Flick is is taking that job. It is also unlikely, but maybe not quite as unlikely that Klopp is taking that job. I think there's still a chance that Klopp is going to get fired. If he's not going to uh, get, get get it together, so this is already more more of a possibility there because I cannot see uh, Flick uh, getting fired any, anytime soon. So yeah, hmm. I'm not not much concerned there. Wouldn't that be interesting? Liverpool end up sacking Jurgen Klopp uh, and him finding his way to the German national team from there. Um, Sebastian, I'll stay with you for just a second. The way that Yogi Love made his announcement, it he did leave the door open to potentially go manage somewhere else, right? It wasn't a retirement so much as it was he's just moving on from the German national team, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, he made it pretty clear that he's not ending his career. He's going to at least eventually uh, consider other possibilities. And I I'm, I don't know if this was just speculation or if this was something he actually said, but uh, it was specifically brought, brought up that he, of course, might consider... Uh, uh, club football again. I don't know this. I don't even know what his last uh, what his last club was. Right. I remember him at Stuttgart way back. I think he was uh, in the Turkish league at some point. 
but yeah, the details are very blurry in, <laughs> in, in my mind because it's really right. like this feels like antiquity, really. The, the reason I say that is because, uh, speaking hypothetically, we could run into a situation where Hansi Flick leaves Bayern and instead we see Yogi Love take over uh, at Bayern, sort of like a coach swap between Bayern and the national team. Obviously, I do not want that to happen, um, but I don't know, maybe be a little bit uh, humorous to see. Uh, Tim, while we're still on the topic of the German national team, the door, as we've all been expecting to happen, has finally been uh, reopened for Thomas Muller to potentially make his return, along with Matt Tummels, uh, back to the German national team. Maybe with Yogi Love uh, or finally stepping down, he's just going to drop his stubbornness and let them back in. But, um, you know, what sort of impact do you think Thomas Muller might would have on the German national team? Do you think that he would, um, you know, be able to, maybe not single-handedly, but, you know, with Love's help, be able to kind of fix the issues that Germany's having at the moment or at least help fix them? Or, you know, do you think that Thomas Muller going back really wouldn't make as much of an impact uh, on the German national team as he has had at Bayern Munich? I'd like to think that it would be, you know, monumental and all of a sudden Germany start winning 9-0 every single game just for that sense of vindication. I don't think that's the case, though. If there's anything that Muller can bring to that team again, it's creativity. So already this season, how many assists has he got? He's got 16 across all competitions. That's ludicrous. Um, And last season, let me just check this very quickly, um, he got very bad internet, 26 assists. The fact that he wasn't, the fact that this is like, yeah, he could come back. The fact that this isn't definite is Mm -hmm. ridiculous, quite frankly. Um, But the fact that it's happening is positive. I think the way that Germany have been playing over the past couple of years or so, um, maybe even going back as far as the World Cup and potentially like a little bit before that, where I, I do realise that Muller was part of that squad. They have seemed to struggle to score or just like create chances. Like the way that they've got, you know, Serge Gnabry playing as a centre forward or, or Timo Werner um, or sometimes having Leroy Sane as a centre forward or, or Marco Royce. You've got guys that can score goals, but they are putting them, they're being played in positions where they're not best utilised. You know, I think any Chelsea fan that's watched Timo Werner over the past few, well, any game that he's played for Chelsea, will see that if you put him up top by himself, he's going to struggle a lot. What what could potentially happen? I, I personally don't think that Timo Werner deserves a call-up for the Euros, considering how he's playing. If I was to be picking this squad, my money's on Kevin Volland. The way that he's playing at Monaco is fantastic. Granted, I will be biased because Niko Kovac is the, man, is the manager there. But he's constantly scoring goals. He's assisting. He's very, very good. Having somebody like Thomas Muller directly behind Kevin Volland, flanked by Serge Gnabry, Leroy Sane, potentially Marco Royce. I, I don't really think he's done enough this season to really warrant getting that call up. Or even having Timo Werner playing on the left, because I know that he he has done that with like varying degrees of success for Germany. But having that sort of creative linchpin directly behind the striker is something that I think Germany have grossly missed. I think the way that Germany have kind of insisted on having this, you know, oh, we will play a three-man defence and it will be a 3-4-3 or 3-4-2-1, it doesn't make any sense. Like, 
it seems to be just kind of like shoehorning players in and not really not really working out very well. In an ideal world, I would see Thomas Muller fit back into that squad directly behind a slightly more conventional striker, somebody like Kevin Volland, who can offer that same sort of, you know, that that dynamism that I guess um, the DFB can see in somebody like Timo Werner, but with, you know, with like a slightly more guarantee behind him of this guy has been scoring goals all season, surely he will score goals against tough defences that the team have otherwise been struggling to uh, to create. I think the, the problem that Thomas Muller will solve is a lack of creativity and also leadership and, and seniority uh, going forward. It, it has to happen. And if it doesn't, oh boy, <laughs> will people be angry. Uh, Tim, as someone who probably watches uh, more Premier League than I do, would you consider Havertz as an option in in front of Müller? Because uh, I think he has been kind of playing striker for uh, Chelsea recently. What do you think about that? He's certainly doing better than he was at the beginning. Obviously, he and this isn't to do with form or like struggling to adapt to the league. He had COVID at the start of the season, and obviously that's going to have like a big impact. I I guess like if anything, if there was ever a tournament for Kai Havertz to really announce himself to the world and say, this is why people paid like 70, 80 million, however much it was for him. This would probably be it. Can If if I was to say, you know, Timo Werner doesn't really deserve a call up at this point, but Kai Havertz does. I think that's, that's potentially maybe a little bit disingenuous. I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that either of them have really done enough to really warrant getting a call up. If If I was to pick either of them, I would say Kai Havertz because of how he's played in the past couple of days, uh, past couple of games. Um, but ev- even so, I I don't know. I think if you have somebody that's going to be playing, you know, as that kind of second striker, potentially playing as a false nine, if you have Muller directly behind that, it kind of negates it. And I think that's one of the reasons why somebody like Mario Goetze really struggled when he played up top by himself. Like he had his moments, but when you have a number 10 directly behind somebody supposedly playing as a false nine, they just get in each other's way. Um, if, if I can fully imagine that both Werner and Havertz are going to get called up um, because I can also anticipate somebody like um, Tilo Kerr getting called up and he's been woeful for like most of his career. <laughs> and so I, I don't think he really deserves it, but obviously he's, he's young, he's German, he's a defender and, you know, who else are you going to call up? I can see both of them getting called up, but frankly, I don't think either of them necessarily deserve it at this point. But there's, there's still time. There's still time. I think my biggest argument with Mueller is if you if you take Thomas Mueller out of the question and then ask yourself, okay, who are the who are the two best German midfielders? Well, number one is obviously Joshua Kimmich, and right behind him, if you're keeping up with you know how the game is being played right now and, and going on current form, it's easily Leon Goretzka. And if you're going to have that duo playing together in midfield, you know Ilkay Gundogan obviously gets a shout, but Leon Goretzka gets the edge for being you know Joshua Kimmich's you know arguably best friend and and current teammate at Bayern Munich. If you're going to have those two in there, why not go ahead and throw in who's playing with them, Thomas Muller? Right, that trio is is dominating teams at Bayern Munich. Why not replicate that? in the German national team. And then you ask yourself, okay, who are 
the best German wingers in the game right now. Serge Gnabry, Leroy, Leroy Sané are both coming in. So that's like a midfield five if you're going with a 4-2-3-1 who all play at Bayern Munich. Uh, and, and having Thomas Muller just being that linchpin, like you said, Tim, that's holding it all together uh, could be crucial. It could have a huge impact on the German national team just simply for the reason that the club form that these guys have, the familiarity that these guys have playing together could be transferred from Bayern over to the German national team. But like you said, we'll probably instead see uh, Tony Cruz, who probably, I would say, has no business starting in the German national team. Well, we'll probably see him starting. we probably see Marco Royce, uh, Julian Draxler, who has been playing a little bit better um, at PSG recently. We'll probably get a call up as well if I'm uh, feeling a little bit cynical. But yeah, I think there's no reason Thomas Muller should not be called back up. He's um, statistically one of the the best attacking midfielders in the world. If it wasn't for Kevin De Bruyne, I'd have no problem saying he was the best attacking midfielder in the world right now. Uh, and any national team would be, you know, just chomping at their bits to get him into their starting 11. And it's a little bit ludicrous uh, that Germany continues continues to look over him. But one more, um, one more topic before we wrap up this podcast, because we're coming to an end of our time. Uh, yesterday, a sort of big transfer rumor emerged out of Spain, and that was that Atletico Madrid's Saul Niguez is uh, unhappy with his contract at the club, unhappy with what's going on, and apparently, according to the Spanish media, I believe AS is the one who who uh, published this, apparently Bayern Munich have come in with a big offer for him. Now, I am actually a big fan of Saul. I think he's a great player. I think he's shown that in the past. Um, any Bayern fan who remember being knocked out of the Champions League by Atletico Madrid several years ago will um, hope probably remember Saul Niguez scoring an incredible goal against us. But the question does have to be asked, Sebastian. You know, Saul is a great player, um, but you know, is he really necessary? Even if we can get him for what would be a pretty good deal, thirty to forty uh, million euros, in there, would he even really be needed at Bayern Munich? Well, what I read is I think thirty-five to fifty million. I think that's that's a fair price, really. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you pointed it out already. The question is not, is this a good player? But what what are we going to do with him? Do, do we need him? And, and I think for nearly every center, central midfielder or defensive midfielder, the answer is right now is kind of no. Uh, at, at least for someone who's not going to be a big option at right back or center back or something like that. If this were a guy who's very, very flexible, who can pitch in at different positions, maybe I would be tempted to say, yes, why not? But yeah, no, not, not really, because really when we when we look at what, what we have right now at central or defensive midfield, um, we have two very, very clear starters in uh, Kimmich and Goretzka, of course. They are not only starters, uh, Kimmich has been a leader for a while, for a while and I think Goretzka is also... Uh, growing into that role he pretty much has grown into that role right now they are very important players for us and i would not want to uh, take either of them off for uh, prolonged periods of time really and these are not the only ones that we have for this position of course right so uh, i'm pretty happy with mark roker i think he has looked as well as as i would have would have hoped uh and i would say i'm i'm very 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 happy to to uh, have him as our third guy who's going to uh, get get his time when one of those two just wants to uh, be taken off for a bit or is injured or whatever. 
and then of course we have to, still we have Tolisso and Martinez on the squad. Maybe they they are gone soon. Okay, but also maybe just one of them will be gone. We talked about how Tolisso might might not be uh, well the. The, the best article to sell <laughs> this summer there's probably there, there won't be so many buyers so we are probably going to have him on the squad too anyway and then Kissons is coming back and Adrian Fine is coming back as it as things are looking right now I mean maybe something changes at, at Marseille now uh, with their new coach but yeah I, I I think chances are that we can have our pick of who of them we we think we can salvage probably. So I really don't I don't think this position is a position we should sink forty million into, because we we have other problems and this is also maybe not a time uh, to spend big with with the whole COVID situation. And I think just just today I, I read about about how Oliver Kahn wants to save money. Uh, in this situation and how he um, uh, talked very favorably about uh, financial fair play and so on. So I really don't don't think there's any reason to, well, re- really open the checkbook and really spend ludicrous amounts of money on a position where we, we are looking pretty well if we just keep four or five of what we already have. I think we really could spend this money elsewhere, you know, like Obviously, right back, but maybe also we're going to be looking for another striker if we're not going to be uh, going to be trusting uh, Joshua Serxe, for example. Uh, also, we could be looking for another winger. Maybe also not not quite a necessity, but with Costa probably gone uh, and Musiala not maybe not being the perfect guy for a wing position. I mean, obviously we're maybe we're going to want to give him minutes there, but. Yeah, another another winger would probably not hurt, and I think there's more room on, on the squad for a fourth winger than there is for I don't know a sixth uh, central midfielder or whatever. Even especially when you consider that uh, uh, Flick has been known to uh, field midfields with uh, just one actual uh, central or defensive midfielder, and then Musiala and Müller in there. I really don't think this this is uh, this is a great idea. Uh, the same is true for Florian Neuhaus. For, uh, by the way, there there just is no no room for someone who isn't like very very good and very very cheap, really. And I think I like uh, Neuhaus even a bit less than than I than I like Neuhaus because he's also not going to make us much younger. And I would I kind of would like to get uh, Bayern uh, to Bayern to, for Bayern to get just. Ever so slightly younger, maybe because we're like our squads are like 27, 28 years old on average, I think, sometimes even 29. So I would rather get a bit younger. And he's also like, I think he's 26, he'll be 27 when he's joining, I think, or something like that. So yeah, not, not, not excited there. Yeah, I think I'm more or less in agreement with you on, on, on all of that. You know, the age um, is a big factor, not, you know, he's not old by any means but if we are going to go from midfielder Neuhaus you know would potentially be better for several reasons but one of those is definitely his age however I would also agree a midfielder does not seem necessary at the moment especially one that we're going to have to pay big for we've already you know paid big for Upamecano which I definitely think was a necessary purchase we have other positions uh, right back being the most obvious one that need to be covered before we look at um, midfield. So even though you know we we would be getting a, a great player at a good price, um, with you know with tons of experience, 
I don't necessarily think uh, it's necessary. Uh, Tim, are you in agreement on that, or you know, maybe maybe you actually think Salonigas would be a, a great buy for Bayern? What are your thoughts on on this? I think he's a great player. I don't think anybody can really disagree with that. I don't, I don't actually know how he's been playing this season because it was only a couple of years ago that he signed a nine-year contract. So there's still five years left on his on his contract, um, which is insane, mm. really. Because um, I remember when all of these when the rumors I like, first came up that our oh, soul wants to leave potentially maybe to to Manchester City. Because I think he has that versatility where he can play really, really aggressive like um, like he would for Atletico. But he can also do the slightly more intricate stuff where he can play as if he was playing like Sergio Busquets in like Barcelona, supported by Xavi and Iniesta. I think he's a hugely talented player, but I don't know if he's just massively dropped off or what his thought process was behind signing a nine-year contract and then a couple of years later thinking, um, I don't know, maybe not. Nine years is a long time. Um, if if Bayern get him, I think that's great. But it is, as has been suggested, largely dependent on the futures of guys like Tolisso, who I think he would probably be the person to um, to replace because he, he has that sort of box-to-box tenacity. Because um, he, can, he can play out wide as well in the same way that Tolisso's played out wide a few times. Um, but yeah, it does depend entirely on Tolisso, on Martinez, um, and also Rocker. I, th- I think Rocker is probably going to stay longer, um, like beyond this season, mm-hmm. um, because you know, as as Sebastian said, like when he's played, he's actually looked all right. Um, and I'm I'm personally looking forward to seeing more of him. But yeah, I I can't see this happening. I think I th- I think it got confirmed as not true earlier today <laughs> mm. um which is is disappointing to see but maybe it's just disappointing to see that on my twitter feed um it's i don't know it's if it happens fantastic if it doesn't i'm not really going to lose much sleep over it right well the same man who says son you guys to bayern munich is not true is also the one suggesting that bayern should be worried uh about Hansi Flick. So uh, let's hope that if he's right about one, it's the not true and he's wrong about Bayern potentially losing Hansi Flick. But that is all the time that we have for this episode. If you've enjoyed listening or if you're a regular fan of the podcast and you haven't done this already, please do us a favor and leave us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate that. If you want to get in touch with us, there are a few ways that you can do that. You can email us at superbyronpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at superbyronpod and uh, get in touch with us there. Keep up to date with all things Super Byron Podcast. All of our episodes can be found on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're probably going to be there. Thank you for listening. Go out and tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.